Come on in and take a seat. All right, everyone, take your places. My name is Amy, if we haven't met. I am part of the staff here at Sierra Bible Church, and I want to welcome you. If you are new or just visiting, I want to make sure you know that there's information about our sermon series that we're going through Ephesians right in front of you. There's also information in that pocket about children's church and youth group and all of those things that are going on weekly here. And so you can take one of those on your way out. We also have a gift for you. And so, again, if that's you, new visiting, uh, you can meet us at the info booth on your way out today and grab that gift. All right, so uh, that's a little bit of housekeeping. I have a few things to share with you. Uh, one of them is I want to remind you that the Children's Church is having their annual fall brunch on Saturday, October 21st. And so this is their, their fall brunch where they invite all those who have been volunteering in Children's Church this last year, uh, where you can just be appreciated and for us to say thank you for giving your time and energy to our kids but also if you're interested in volunteering or you just wanna know more about what they do over there, about the vision behind it, um, that's, also some, that's also something they talk about at the fall brunch. So if you wanna know more about Children's Church in general, um, our director, Abby Casey, uh, runs the brunch. And so please come out on Saturday, it's here at 10 a.m. And we do ask you to sign up either on our app or on our website um, so we can just know how many of you are coming to that brunch. All right? All right. So next, in a month, or a little less than a month, because it's the 8th, we are having our SBC meet and greet. Yes, look at those beautiful people. Can you see them? Look at them. Look like nice. I know, it's me. I know. Okay, uh, I'm on the slide. I know. I'm going to say this again. I said it for service. I did think about not wearing these pants because I'm wearing them in that picture. That's not a thing you're supposed to do as a speaker. But I just thought, I'm up here all the time. You've seen all of my clothing, everything I own. It's not a lot. So this slide's gonna be up here for the next like three to four weeks to remind you of our meet and greet. And I'm definitely gonna wear all those clothes at least a couple times in the next few weeks. So I've accepted that, I think you've accepted that, and I think we're okay, all right? But the point is, because none of that was the point, <laughs> is that we have a meet and greet Sunday, November 5th, after second service, 12.30. We're gonna have lunch for you. Anyone that is new to SBC and wants to meet our pastors, wants to talk to our staff, uh, wants to get connected or have a little more conversation than maybe you can in this environment, um, and news relative, it could be two months, it could be a couple of years, and maybe you just haven't, you've been in and out and haven't been able to really meet our staff. And so if that's you, then please come to our meet and greet and let us know you're gonna be there again, signing up through the app, uh, so we can make sure we have lunch for you, all right? So again, there it is. It's gonna go up there every week for the next four weeks. Um, I do wanna remind you also, if you picked up a women's peak care bottle and have been putting money into that, we are collecting that. There's a little basket at the info booth, but next Sunday is the last day of collection. So whatever is in that little bottle, bring it in ne by next Sunday, and we're gonna collect that, and then they're gonna pick it up uh, for the Women's Peak, or the Peak Women's Care Center. Um, another, oh no, we skipped that. We already had Fellowship Sunday. Hopefully you were there. 
um, because it already happened. So now I want to make sure you know that today is Pastor Appreciation Day. If you didn't know that already, I know. Um, and with that, we are celebrating Pastor Appreciation Month, and I've made these amazing boxes here, right here, because I am way creative. And I put their names on it. We have Pastor Jesse, Pastor Brad Knoll, Pastor Caleb, and Pastor Brad Beers, if you didn't know. We have four awesome pastors here. And you can put little trinkets in their box, you know, cards, stickers, um, money, gift cards. Uh, you can do all those things. And then these are going to be out. The boxes are going to be out um, all month long for you to put goodies inside them. Just as a reminder, um, you can also give online and just make a note in the memo if you have a specific gift or a specific pastor, you can do that as well. So there's the boxes. I made all the openings really uneven. This is Jesse's. And I'm sorry, Brad. Beers, this is yours. It was an accident. <laughs> but we all know it's what's on the inside that counts, all right? All right, junior high, you're dismissed, and here's Pastor Jesse. I, I do think it's pretty awesome. My hole is bigger than Brad's, so. <laughs> the Lord knew for some reason someone needs to put something big in there. <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome. As Amy mentioned, my name is Jesse. I'm part of the team here. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 again, so... If you have your Bible, please go ahead and turn there, whether that's on an app or, or you actually have a paper Bible like I do. And if you don't have a Bible, as is custom every Sunday, just raise your hand. One of these guys will gra uh, let you use one of ours. You can borrow it if that's what's needed. If you need a Bible and you want to own one, you can take that one home with you. If you know someone who needs a Bible, you can go ahead and give that as, as a gift as well. We replace them as often as needed. Um, as way of introduction, last week <clears throat> we were in chapter 5 starting in verse 22. And the overall theme of last week's message was uh, on the topic of marriage, which we'll continue to do this morning. Uh, but last week, I made a major emphasis on verse 32, which is really the, the crux of the matter when it comes to this particular passage. One cannot really interpret this piece of scripture, I don't think correctly, without verse 32, which states that in regards to the roles between a husband and a wife, right? Those really popular words that pop up in verse 22, wives submit, and then the other popular one that pops up in verse 25, husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. One cannot really accomplish these things, first of all, perfectly, none of us can. Uh, secondly, we recognize that really this passage isn't so much about the husband and the wife as it is about the church and Christ. The Bible tells us specifically that Christ is the groom and the church, which is you and I, is the bride. I even said last week to a certain degree that if one is going to be a good husband, he has to first learn how to be a good wife, meaning that he understands his role uh, as part of the overall church. In verse 32, it literally says this mystery, after speaking of this reality of submission and sacrifice between the two sexes, this mystery is profound. That word profound is the word megas. It means it is a big mystery, and it is now revealed. 
And that big mystery is that really ultimately everything in this passage cannot just be for the wife or just be for the husband, but rather it is for all in the church. Uh, Now with that said, I wanted that to be the major theme, but then what I wanted to do this week and then next week is focus on the wife this week and then focus on the husband next week and specifically the commandments that are brought out in here uh, for us to adhere to. So let me just state again, because I know some of you are not married. Some of you desire to be married. Uh, I know when I was in San Diego, the custom was, right? I, I worked at a mega church. And if you were single, what you did was you walked in the back and you looked for a, a good set of hair, if you were a guy, right? You looked for a nice, pretty gal from a distance. And then you sat next to her uh, a seat or two away and you waited for the moment when they said, introduce yourself to the person to the left or right of you, right? And then you'd go, hey, I just happened to sit here. My name's Jesse. And that's how I got married. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I didn't meet my wife at church, though. Uh, And and so um, if you are single, there's things here. If you desire to be married, there are things here that you should be prepping for, praying for. Uh, And if you are married, there are things that we could all grow in in regards to this. So, so I think it's applicable whether you are married or not, whether you are single or not, again, because ultimately it is about the church in regards to its relationship with Christ. And all of these verses are applicable to every single one of us. So with that said, as is our custom, if you're not aware, uh, here on Sundays, we love God's word. We believe it is him speaking to us. These are ancient texts filled with the spirit of God that, that he is speaking to his church. And because we believe in that, and because we believe it is him speaking, we want to get our hearts and our bodies ready for what he wants to say. I want to encourage you, uh, therefore, if you're able to, to stand with me as we read from these passages. And here's what I'm going to do. I didn't do it last week. I probably should have. Is I'm going to go back in chapter 5, and I'm not going to start in verse 22, because I think in order for us to really apply these verses, we actually need to uh, see what it says ahead of it for a particular reason. Let me get there in a minute. I want you to go to verse 18, and then I will jump to 22. Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Therefore, wives, submit to your own husbands, verse 22, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. O Lord, if there is anything that is more true is that we are desperate for your assistance in relationships, Lord. And one of the most important relationships where we need your assistance for sure is the marital relationship. Lord, as it has been said before me, that marriage is not really so much about our happiness as it is our holiness. That you call a man and a woman together in imperfection to help one another grow in their sanctification. And I ask this morning that we would be open to what you want to say. These are your words. They're not the culture's words. They're not the world's words. They are not the news's words, Lord. They are not social media's words. They are God-breathed words. And so we ask that they would have an impact upon our souls. 
to heal us, to grow us, and to make us more like yourself. Be with us, Lord, this morning. We need you. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. Now, the reason I read verse 18 is I think in reality it's a piece of, of this context, the piece of, of this passage that makes everything fit together. There's a contrast that the apostle makes here within this particular letter. The, the first one is he, he says, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. This is, this is sin. Anyone who's ever been buzzed or has ever been drunk, you know that there is a particular feeling that that intoxication brings. It has a way of numbing pain. It has a way of, of making you maybe even thankful for things that maybe you're not as thankful for. It has an ability to make you what we might think is joy-filled. It's something that we, we may use at a wedding to have a, a good time, to, to let oneself loose. Some of you, some of you maybe have even used alcohol to lubricate the senses so that you could even talk to a woman, yeah? Anybody live at that age? I know I did. I'm glad not to be in that place anymore. The reality behind alcohol, though, is that the feeling that it brings is temporal. It it doesn't last very long. It's not sustaining. It's also not life-giving. Anyone who's ever been drunk, you know that that it has a good feeling, but for a moment, and then, uh, then that hangover comes and lasts for probably a good 24 hours. The reason Scripture mentions this, it says, you know, it's not good to be drunk. The Bible doesn't say that one cannot drink, though some of us probably never should touch alcohol. It doesn't prohibit that we shouldn't drink. In fact, Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine at a wedding, and it was of the best of wine. It just wasn't okay wine. It was the best of wine. Jesus only makes good wine. But it does prohibit against falling into the place of sin and getting drunk when you begin to lose control. You begin to be somebody that you're actually not. And the contrast here is that he says, rather, rather be filled with the Spirit. This is the part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, that is to consume the believer. It's interesting to note this because in order for us to be the husbands we should be, in order for the church to be the bride of Christ that it is called to be, in order for the wife to be the wife that she is to be, there is only one way to do that, and that is to subject oneself to the overall control of the Holy Spirit. If one does not come under the Spirit's control, one simply cannot live the Spirit-filled life. If you have your notes before you, you can see I've left my heading for last week on there that we that we need Jesus' spirit in marriage, that ultimately this passage is about the gospel. Uh, And then this week, we'll be focusing on the spirit-filled wife, or what I may call the gospel work of the wife. That the wife is really only able to do the thing that this passage is calling them to do if they have yielded themselves again to the spirit's control. That's interesting to note because it tells us literally in this verse, and if you're a lady, I know, I know that these verses are hard for one to hear. And I pray that I can give a nice balanced view of what God is saying in this passage. But this idea of submission is not a cultural popular thing to say, is it? I mean, think of yourself right now. For those ladies in the room, please, you know, know that I didn't write these verses. <laughs> Wives, submit. Mm. This is hard to hear in a culture that says don't submit to anything. Right? I mean, even, 
even as citizens of the United States of America, we pride ourselves in our independence, not on our submission, not on our dependence upon anything, but rather that we are an independent people. We are, we are to carry our own schedule, do our own thing. We write our own book. That's literally where culture is at today. You can be whatever you want as long as you feel that way inside. But that's not what it says here. In fact, this idea of submission for the wife, first and foremost, we know is not just specifically for the wife, right? And we know that because of verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This idea of submission is a biblical reality that all of us should be practicing. In fact, I would, I would clearly state that part of the gospel is that we're not in control, but we actually are under control. Christianity is not being in authority. Christianity is about being under authority. We have an authority, and our authority is Christ. Every single one of us are called to submit to the greater good of the gospel. So this matter of submission, it, it literally tells us, not just for the wife, but also for the entire church, notice what it says. I mean, if it wasn't enough just to say, wives, submit to your own husbands, which I think is a clear, uh, you know, commandment here that, ladies, this is to be to your husband, not to all men. So it's not that men have authority over all women. But there is this reality in which it states that as a wife, she has a particular call to submit to her own husband. Now, if that wasn't enough, it then goes down a little further, and it speaks of Christ in the church. The church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in what? No one wants to say it? Everything. Now, that word everything is an important word. What it doesn't mean, let's talk about it in the negative sense first. What it doesn't mean is that, is, is that the wife is supposed to submit in every jot, every tittle, everything that you can think of. It doesn't mean that wives are to submit to every single thing, but rather the verse, what it's talking about, is in all of the different areas of life. Finances and, and all of that. What it doesn't mean is wives submit to your husbands even if they cause you to sin. It doesn't mean that. And we'll get to that more in a moment. But it means in everything. It means in parental care, vocational, relational. And we'll see a little bit later that, that, that as it teases out in chapter 6, there's a submission that parents are to have in regards to their children, or children rather in regards to their parents, or bond servants in our job relationships. Now, this idea of everything, we can also find this in the reality of Jesus himself. Submission is something that was first and foremost practiced by our Messiah. Even in his early childhood, you go all the way to the very beginning of Luke chapter 2, and in verse 51, you'll find this place that it says, Jesus was submissive to his parents. Christ himself, who is God in the flesh, even he found himself under the parental guidance of Joseph and Mary. Can you just imagine what that relationship was like for him and for, for his parents? Could you imagine them telling, correcting Jesus that he, he should make sure that the toilet paper falls down waterfall side and not, right? And we know that Jesus, whatever those directives were, Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus is known as the carpenter, the Messiah carpenter. Imagine those moments as Joseph was teaching Jesus how to shape things out of wood the same material that God himself spoke into existence. The irony cannot be lost on me. 
But let's understand something in, the, in regards to this idea of, of, of this everything that women are supposed to be submissive to in regards to their husbands, which doesn't mean everything, but in every area of life. What needs to be mentioned in a moment like this is that biblical marriage is not traditional marriage. Biblical marriage is not traditional marriage. What do I mean by that? I think this commentary will help you uh, see this a little bit more clearer than I could describe. He says, there is freedom in Christ. Everyone say amen to that. There's tremendous freedom in the gospel. Freedom to work out the best way to live out the biblical guidelines. Did you hear what he just said? He said, there's freedom. What he's saying is there's freedom within your marriage on how you play out marriage. There's a nuance here. It isn't just black and white. As long as it fits within the biblical guidelines, as long as Christ-like headship and loving submission are practiced, it would be okay for the wife, are you ready for it? To make more money than the husband. Yeah. <laughs> it goes on, he goes on and says, or for the wife to bring home the bacon while the husband is in school injured or further the husband may even be, the husband might even be a better cook. Is that true of anyone in the room? Is the husband a better cook? Same thing happened in the first service. Oh, you guys are braver than the first service. First service, a few husbands were like. A biblical marriage doesn't always mean traditional marriage. There's nuance in how this is played out. This passage has been used to abuse women and for men to use it as a place to say that they sit in some kind of higher authority than the woman herself. But Proverbs 31, ladies that know this passage, you know that that's not true, don't you? Let's go to Proverbs 31. If you, if you have your Bible, go to Proverbs. If you don't know what Proverbs is, it's pretty much just right in the middle of your Bible. You can just open it up, probably end up on Psalms, and then it's right next to Psalms. Proverbs 31 is the last passage in Proverbs. Now, when I was young and in college and part of the church, all of the college ladies bathed in this verse. Is that true for you, Brad, when you used to do ministry? All, it seemed like when you did college ministry, all of the gals just love Proverbs 31. Am I right? Yeah. I don't think you're placating me, but all right. Listen to what it says, verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Do you see that in the passage? A wife that loves God is like a precious jewel. Ladies, this is your value. This is your intrinsic biblical value. And I just have to say, because sometimes we lose sight of this, especially in our, our culture, we've lost sight of this great reality that nobody, nobody valued women more than Jesus Christ. He was one who elevated womanhood. In fact, if you remember, if you go all the way back in, in the original context of the Bible, when Jesus fed the 5,000, traditionally we know he fed far more than 5,000 because the women and children were not numbered amongst the 5,000. Because women were not seen as the same level of humanity as men. They weren't even included in the census. In fact, even in Jesus' day, it was common for the wife to change her first name, not just her last name, her first name to be the feminine, the feminine way of the male's name. So I'm Jesse. My wife should be named Jessica, right? 
Let's not do that. But Jesus comes along and we see that he elevates the status of womanhood. They're the first ones at the cross and they're the first ones at the tomb. To the man's shame, women tend to be more spirit-filled than women. It's usually women in the church who volunteer first. It's usually women in the church who are the first ones to go to Bible study. There are many women who come to church here by themselves without their husbands. And I know this for a fact after 20-something years of ministry. Mother's Day, the church is packed out. Father's Day? Where are you, men? That's one of those days. It's my day today. We ain't going to church, y'all. And, and I, think, I think that shows us that God, in whatever, for whatever reason, there is a heart of softness towards the gospel that women have that I think men should take as a challenge. We should elevate our spiritualness. We'll get to that next week. We should be spirit-filled men. We should be taking that charge, not doing what Adam did. We talked about that last week. The typical sinful man, what they do in their sin is they shirk responsibility. Oh, God, I sinned because it was the woman you gave me. That's what men tend to do in their own natural inclination. Let, let's continue with how awesome gals are here. The heart of the husband trusts in her, Proverbs thirty-one eleven, and he will have no lack of gain. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax, and she works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Look at her industriousness, verse 16. She considers a field and she buys it. She's an entrepreneur. She knows how to invest. Right? This is like the Shark Tank ladies, you know? <laughs> Women know how to make money. That's what it's saying. It goes on. She plants a vineyard. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Hey, it's okay for ladies to have biceps. That's what it's saying. It, this is going to get really good here in a moment. Look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor. So she's someone who sees need. This is why she's so precious. She's strong. She's industrious. She knows how to invest. She knows how to reach out to the needy and help those who are in need. Look at verse 21. It's perfect. She is not afraid of the snow. modern day translation for Truckee, California she knows how to run a Honda snowblower <laughs> you, you, you see traditional marriage is not biblical marriage it's okay for a woman to be strong, industrious to invest, to be a leader, to be followed by other individuals but nonetheless there still is a commandment for her to come under authority and that motive for her to come under that authority, that motive, as is the same motive for the church, which is for the men in the room as well, is a humble proclamation of the gospel, which it simply states in this particular verse, she is to submit as to who? To the Lord. She doesn't submit to the husband because that would make her bitter. But she submits because she knows that it's an act of worship unto Christ himself. You see, wives, in order for you to be spirit-filled, you cannot submit to your husband because if you do submit to your husband for your husband's sake, you'll end up in what's called a transactional relationship. You'll submit to her 
or you'll submit to him. And then you will expect him to do verse 25, to love you as Christ loves the church. And then he doesn't always do that, does he? But who has already sacrificed for you? Jesus. Who has already died for you? Jesus. Who is called to be under subjection? The entire church. But again, he tells us here, as is, it's, he repeats himself. Remember the sister, the sister passage, which is in Colossians. All of these, a lot of these verses that are in Ephesians are also in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting. As is fitting to the Lord, right? It's not in, in everything in the sense of whatever the husband says. He gets to be dictator. He gets to tell you what to do, and you have to do it. It has to be fitting into the word of God. Ladies, you never, ever have to do anything your husband tells you to do if it is not fitting in the Lord. Amen? Your husband tells you you have to sin. You have every right You have all of the freedom and all of the blessing under God to not submit to that particular thing. But but nonetheless, we know that we should be submitting, and our model of submission is Jesus himself. Some of you remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It tells us to have this mind among ourselves, which is in Christ. There's a commandment. This idea of submission should be in our heads, in our minds, which was the same mind that Jesus had. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So this idea of submission, Jesus is not asking any of us to do what he has not done. Christ, who is God in the flesh, came from heaven. All that heaven had entailed for him all of the worship, all of the splendor, and he came to earth among sinful man that he would then die for sinful man and bring them close to himself. This is the model of submission, to look to Jesus and say, how can I do this? How do I submit? The only way one can submit is by looking to Jesus who has already submitted. That's what Philippians is telling us. It says that he was found in in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. That's submission. Obedience. Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. How did he do this? He did all of it, and he commands all of us to do this idea of submission to one another, submission to our wives, submission to our husbands. It says, do these things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So submission, he tells us, should be, should be joy-filled. I mean, marriage, those of you who are married, when was the last time that your wife possibly or your husband possibly will, said, hey, you know what, could you take out the trash? And you, you did that with exuberance. And not with with an attitude of grumbling and complaining. When was the last time, guys, you washed the dishes for your wife? Tuesday, someone said. (laughs) Man, you're coming up on a week. Listen to this definition, the biblical definition of joyful. I'm going to give you a lengthy one. This is what our submission should look like. To Christ and for wives under their husbands, it should be exuberant enthusiastic. This is the definition of joy-filled. 
Exuberant, enthusiastic, energetic, boisterous, vivacious, positive, excited, thrilled, animated, lively, spirited, not lethargic, not exhausted, not dull, not lifeless, not listless, not dour, not negative, not weary, not boring, not subdued, not blink, not stern, not gloomy, and definitely not dreary. We see what it is and we see what it isn't. And scripture tells us that Jesus himself in Hebrews chapter 12, that for the joy set before him, he submitted and was endured to the cross. And he knew because he knew that his submission was purposeful. He knew that by submitting to the cross and submitting to the father, there would be reconciliation of relationship. And and, and let me just share this with you after 20 something years of being married. Well, first of all, I've only been married 20 years, 20 something years of ministry. Most marital issues come down to either one or both spouses trying to control the other. It's one of the major reasons we have struggle in our marriages. Either the husband wants to control the wife or the wife wants to control the husband. And what this passage is saying is in order for marriage to really work, neither should be in control of the other, but both should be under the control of the spirit. And if you're controlled by the spirit, you won't seek control. Right, again, to use the stupid analogy of whether your toilet paper hangs this way or whether your toilet paper hangs this way, the only way for that to end the argument is for someone to say, I submit, I yield, I give, I wave the white flag, I don't need to fight for it, it's not worth it. it would, you, would you rather have the toilet paper fall this way or would you rather get along with your spouse? Because isn't that what it comes down to? You can either be right or you can have a healthy relationship. The gospel is saying, don't worry about all of these things. How many of you this morning, one of you wanted to be here on time and the other one? I watched you drive in. I know who you are. Normally there's one spouse in the car with it running and another one inside. And you know what? The person in the car is always doing this. And the other one's inside going, and the reason the person in the car is upset is because they want to control the spouse to get into the car because it matters what your image looks like because you want to be on time because it matters that everyone knows that you're an on-time person and all you actually really care about being on time is because of how it makes you look and not really because it's that important. I'm definitely not saying that you shouldn't be on time at church. I I think you should be. I am. (laughs) But there should be purpose in your submission and the purpose is to reconcile the relationship. Paul actually says in Corinthians that he became a servant to all. He was willing to submit to everyone that he might win as many as possible. First Peter, he tells us, Peter tells us in chapter three, he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Submit to them so that even if some do not obey the word, and some of you have husbands that don't obey the word, And the encouragement in Peter is saying, don't try to take control of the situation. Don't try to be in charge, but rather win them over in subjection and submission. Serve them as you serve the Lord. Still do their laundry, still cook the meals, whatever that may be. So that they might be won without a word by by your conduct. There seems to be a hint here that, that ultimately, if you want your spouse to change... You don't say anything. Why? Because what you're actually doing 
is you're submitting to Christ and you're letting go of the situation and you're saying, I know that I cannot control my husband. I know that I can't change my husband. And so God, I give you my husband. And I know that you can change him. See, the submission is under the Lord as you're saying, God, I, I can't fix him. Wives, do you know that? You can't fix your dude. You can't. There's only one being, and it's the Spirit of God that can change your husband. And the reason it's encouraging this is it's saying, would you trust me to sanctify your husband, to discipline your husband? Because God will discipline the husband. We're going to get to that next week. There's a place in Scripture that literally says that you have to treat your wife a certain way or your prayers will be hindered. That's in Scripture. That God interrupts his relationship with certain men because the man has interrupted his relationship correctly with his wife. And so it's saying, okay, the purpose of submission, that God would ultimately have control and that you would have respect. It says respect. That submission is part of respect and that respect that what this literally means here is that you'd have a fear and awe. What do you have a fear and awe of? Not your husband, but a fear and awe that your husband is going to answer to God for his leadership. Ladies, he doesn't have to answer to you. But he is going to have to answer to God. The last point I think that needs to be made in regards to submission here as we get ready to close in just a few moments is this submission is to be voluntary. It's not forced. It's What's interesting is, is when you look at the original language in here, and again, I'm not a... I'm not a, a, a a big original language guy because I, I don't know Greek that well and there's other people who do and I'm not that kind of scholar but I have enough tools to get in trouble and enough commentaries to help me along the way. But if you just take a look, the words are similar in the original Greek. The first one there in verse 22, look what it says, wives submit. Just look at the word submit. Now a very similar Greek word is mentioned in chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 5. And the translators know this, that there's a nuance to the word. And they use for children, it says, children obey, bond servants obey. So there's a commandment to children to have obedience to their parents. And there's a commandment to those who have employers that they are to obey their earthly masters. And the language here is very similar. But in the second part here for children, that word obedience or submission, and in verse 5, that word obedience or submission is more of a, an overall, I have to. I am a child. I have to. I'm a slave. I have to. But this word submit in verse 22 is a different word. It's voluntary. This isn't an act of I have to. This is an act of I'm willing to do this. See, what wives are doing when they enter into marriage is hopefully they're saying, I am willingly voluntarily open to submitting to you for the overall benefit of our marriage, the overall benefit of our kids, the overall benefit of life, the overall, over, for your overall benefit. I want to partner with you. It's the same language that God used when he created Adam and Eve. And when he created Eve, he said, I've created a helpmate for you. This is for assistance and help and growth. But I think it's also saying something else without actually saying it, which is this. Husbands, you don't get to treat your wives like children or slaves. You don't get to treat them like they're little kids that have to obey your every whim. 
you don't get to treat them like a slave that tells you everything that you get to do or you have to do. In fact, one commentary says, Christian wives freely and responsibly follow the loving leadership of a faithful husband, not a tyrant. And we must reject all improper characters of this teaching. Scripture is not talking about something akin to slavery, subservience, or a top-down chain of command where subjects have to obey without question. The picture is not that of a man lying on the couch saying, bring me some pretzels, babe. That's not what this is. And there is so much nuance here. And I have to say this from a pastoral heart that deals with counseling and deals with marriage struggles, right? That, that, that there are moments where we as church leadership have encouraged wives to leave the particular marriage outside of the home to go live somewhere else because of a husband who was abusive, whether it be verbal or physical. These verses do not say that if your husband is verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, or physically abusive, stay in the home and submit and don't say a word and you'll win him over. That's not what it's saying. No pastor, no leader should ever use these verses to tell a woman to stay within a physically abusive or emotionally abusive relationship. And we have counseled women, whether it be for a moment or whether it be indefinitely. Get out of the home for the safety of yourself and get out of the home for the safety of your children because your husband is a tyrant who does not submit to the, to the, to the Lord. And then the elders go visit that husband, right? We lay holy hands on them. The reality here is that this only works. These verses only work when both parties in the marriage understand the gospel to this kind of degree. But imagine what our marriages would look like if each wife and each husband were totally spirit-filled in regards to their interaction with their spouse. Imagine how strong our families would be. Imagine what our churches would look like if men would take the mantle of this kind of spiritual sacrifice and service that it made it a pleasurable experience for their wife to submit to their husbands. But may we also make a real clear note here that just because God has called you to submit as a woman unto your man, that one, it doesn't mean the man doesn't submit, and two, it doesn't make you less valuable. And the cheat code verse for this and I'll close with this verse. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Take note. I'm going to ask the wives how this makes you feel. I want you to understand, Paul says. I want you to get what I'm saying. That the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every wife is her husband. I'll stop there. How does it make you feel... When the Bible makes this radical statement, I want you to understand the head of every man of Christ is Christ and the head of every wife is her husband. But the cheat code is the next few letters, next few words. And the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. Is Christ any less valuable than God the Father? No. Is God somehow greater than Jesus and Jesus somehow lesser than God? No. 
But within the Trinity, the Trinity itself has this relationship. This is how we know that we are created for community because God in his essence is a communal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we need one another. That's why we're built to have relationships. It's why some of us long to be married. It's in the nature of God. But even in the nature of God, God the Father is over Christ and Christ submits to God the Father and in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, which is funny when you have whole denominations that make a big haboo about the Holy Spirit, but when you look at Scripture, the whole job of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus. That's the job of the Spirit. It is to give you gifts and to convict you of sin and all those great things, yes, but ultimately, the ultimate gift of the Spirit, the reason you have the Spirit in you is to point you to Jesus, to point you to Jesus. And within the Trinity, there's perfect submission and perfect balance. And God's calling us to have the same kind of balance within our relationships. And the most important relationship that we can have, the, the love your neighbor. There's no closer neighbor than your wife or your husband, is there? I mean, they're right there. And if we can fall under the power of the Spirit, we'll have marriages that ultimately, ultimately make this great mega mystery profound to the world, that Jesus Christ is a loving God who loves people and wants our relationships to thrive on this planet. Amen? Would you stand with me? And let's close in prayer together. <clears throat> Lord, it is so easy in our sin to manipulate verses like these to use them to rule to cause others to come underneath but we know Lord that a passage like this that is not the goal the goal here Lord is that the church as a whole that you Lord as our father as our savior as our brother Lord that we are to fall under your rule we're all to be under authority. We're all to be under control, not in control, subservient to you. And so I ask not just for the wives, but for the church as a whole, for every single one of us here, that we would submit to you. We would submit to your love, submit to your service, submit to your commandments, submit to even the true identity that you've given us, grounded and founded in a gospel of grace and not just obedience. Help us to see you for who you really are. Help us to follow you as we should. May your spirit empower us. And we trust you for it now as we sing in gratitude and thanks unto you for being the one true God who loves his people with a divine sacrificial love. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.